Wow. That's, that preaches enough right there, doesn't it? We could go home right now. And I would beat Mark and be through before he ever is. So that would, <laughs> but you know, that is one of our goals here. Uh, I'm the associate pastor, Scott. If you haven't met me. Good to see you. See a lot of guests here this morning. Welcome. Um, Kidmo Kids. We, Zeke, would you like to go to Kidmo this morning? Okay. <laughs> Kidmo Kids, you are dismissed. Zeke is waving at me frantically to make sure that we get them where they will. Uh, if you are one of our guests, we have a second through fifth grade program geared just for those kids. It's a fantastic thing. So if you have kids that age, they're more than welcome to participate in that. And a uh, great place to volunteer, too. If you if you have never done that, there are some insights that will come from teaching children that you will never get from anywhere else. So good time with them. But I'm Scott, the associate pastor here, and uh, we share this pulpit together uh, with many voices. We like to have different voices in the pulpit to share share what's on our hearts because God speaks to us all differently. Do you, y'all believe that? I think he does. And so we always have a, a little different perspective sometimes, but we, we stick to what scripture says. And, you know, what do you think about that? How many of you saw that during the Super Bowl? Did did that did it strike you like it did me? That was like wow. That's pretty much to the point, isn't it? And I think what you're going to see today is we talk about being just and justice, and how God would have us treat our enemies in in situations where we have the opportunity to be just. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Uh, but let's pray before we get started, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for everyone that is here this morning, Lord. We just pray that the Holy Spirit will move in our midst. God, that we will learn what it means to be a just person, uh, how to walk the way justly, and how to treat those around us, God. We have we have lost so much as a society in our division and our anger and our hate that we need to need to take a look, God, and see if it's time for, for us to repent and see what you would have us to do and the direction you would have us go so that we can make this kingdom that you talk about, Lord, serving the kingdom, that we can make that a reality here on earth, God, at least through our lives as best we can. And, Lord, we just pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, guys. Well, this morning I want to start out. Um, let's just see what it says about God Injustice and righteousness, and this starts in Psalm chapter 9, verses 7 through 8. It says, The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. There are a whole lot of key words in there that we need to focus on. Number one, how long does the Lord reign? Forever. That means including now, future, and past. The Lord is always reigning. Why did he establish his throne for judgment? We're going to talk about that in a little bit in a minute. I think we may be getting something a little bit off on judgment there that we need to talk about. And he judges the people with equity. How many of you know the difference between equity and equality? Not many people know that terminology. And it's something I'll give you some personal examples in a minute. But the term equity refers to fairness and justice and is distinguished from equality. Whereas equality means providing the same to all, equity means recognizing that we do not all start from the same place and must acknowledge and make adjustments to the imbalances. All right. The best example I can see that will hit home for most of you, how many of you work out for a living or have worked? Okay, have you ever felt that you did a lot more work than your co-workers, but you all got, y'all got treated the same? 
How many of you have ever been punished for, for what somebody else did? Has that ever happened to you on the job? Oh, yeah, I can remember. And, Mark, I can remember this and especially because this one happened on a youth retreat one time. The youth were misbehaving. Now, I know that comes as a surprise to many of you that youth would misbehave, but, uh, and Karen will remember the individual I'm talking about, Tommy, is who I'm talking about, Sneed, uh, where we used to go to church. He'd, he helped with the youth, and he was the choir director and several things. Well, some of the boys got the bright idea it would be fun to go in there and throw water on them while they slept. Okay, does that sound like a typical youth trip prank? Did anybody throw water on you, Mark? Should that, did that, honestly, not to get up this morning even? <laughs> he may need some before this day's over, but they had decided to prank prank this uh, this man and his his two boys were staying in the cabin with him, and so they did that. Well, he did not take it very well. Let's just put it that way. He came out in wearing nothing but his underwear and a pair of cowboy boots, which is a sight to see. He looked like Mr. Wrestling Number One for you that maybe follow wrestling, and he comes stomping out of that cabin and he was mad. So. The other counselors came up there and they got us and said, you all all need to go apologize. What? Well, y'all were all in? No. I had absolutely no. I was asleep. I, I have no idea. You know, and it just struck me at that time that everybody doing the same thing isn't necessarily the right thing. Sometimes there are differences in the degree that apologies are needed or the degree that people have seen that... And God treats us with equity. He sees our lives. He realizes this. And where we're going to apply that today in equity is talking about how we, as God does, should see those that are oppressed and need a hand up in society. Most of the time, that is where we miss out on equity. We want to treat everybody equally. We want to treat everybody. Everybody gets the same no matter what. Now, Okay, you were born into a family that your your household income is five hundred thousand dollars a year. You were born into a family that lives on twenty five thousand dollars a year. Those things are not necessarily equal, and there are problems that evolve in a society when we don't look at equity. Lack of equity causes a lot of the problems and strife that we have. And I'm not saying it because of the first thing I know that's going through your mind is, well, some of those people don't deserve equity because they don't do the right thing. And we're going to talk about that in a minute when we talk about judgment. But what about those that do? What about the single mom that her uh, husband got her pregnant and left, her boyfriend, and then left her? Is that, does she deserve a hand up? Does she deserve a little extra than the person that's, you know, happily married and their husband's taking care of them? You know, are we not supposed to take care of those children? Uh, the the widows, nobody made her husband die. You know, it's a fact of life. We all pass on. Should we take care of those widows? And God is extremely, extremely clear in Scripture about how we treat those that are oppressed and have less than us. Look at Psalms 9.9. This verse says, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. You know, God in this verse, is recognizing the fact that we don't all have the same station in life. Would y'all agree with that? That that there are inequities in life. Some people have it better than others. And God recognizes that. And he is, he is very much in tune with the needs of the oppressed. Uh, we talked about that a little bit even in the series in Genesis that Jimmy was talking about. You know, the cries that were coming out, the cries for God. You know, and he recognizes those that cry for him and trying to get his attention and the oppressed. Um, 
you know, the Bible is filled with stories of people that have been oppressed throughout, whether it be the Jewish people, those around them, uh, individuals that perhaps had a disease like leprosy or something. Uh, you know, if you were a, a young widow or an unmarried lady in Scripture, you were very much oppressed because it was a male-dominated society and there, were, there weren't a lot of ways for you to do things, uh, to make a living or anything. So, so a lot of women were oppressed in Scripture because of that. So God has recognized that and he knows that we don't all have the, station, the same station in life. And Jesus illustrated this well in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. Uh, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And what's his custom? He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Look at the key words in this passage of scripture that Jesus himself is teaching in the synagogue. He is saying to proclaim good news to who? To the poor. Do you think the poor often get left out of that good news? Do you think that, you know, again, as a society, as a whole, we often want to influence the influencers, don't we? If we have a seat at the table, we want to influence those that have influence and power. How many of us think about the oppressed and the poor and taking the good news to them? Um, traditionally, uh, the Christian church has been really great about doing that in nations other than the United States. But how many churches have a mission to the poor in their own community? And that's something that, that we need to be aware of, that the poor are all around us. They're not just all around the world. They're all around us. Uh, we may have, uh, the poor here may have a better standard of living than some other places, but they're still poor. They don't know where their next meal's coming from. They don't know, they don't have shelter. You know, we have a lot of homeless people. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute as well. But So he came to bring good news to the poor. He set to proclaim liberty to the captives. Slavery was a real deal in the Bible. There were a lot of nations that, that when you were conquered, you became slaves or you became an indentured servant because you didn't have means for income and you basically became a slave to somebody else just for your mere existence. So he came to give those people liberty and hope, came to give sight to the blind. He recognized physical needs that, you know, how many stories of healing do we see in the Bible and more than could be enumerated that aren't even recorded where Jesus went about healing people. Um, and he says that, he, again, he gives liberty to the oppressed. This theme of liberty and oppression, he's, he's very strong speaking about this. And then finally, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. How many of you all would like to have the Lord's favor? That's a lot better than having his wrath, isn't it? You know, I think if, if we want to be judged by God and judged justly, we really want to be on his favorable side. I don't think anybody wants the, um, the supreme ruler that reigns over everything to be on their bad side do you i think that and god teaches us through these scriptures you know what's right and what's fair that's what so much of this concept of judgment and just is based on it's what's being fair what's being equitable what's the right thing to do and and i think 
sometimes we get these terms of being just and judgment and justice mixed up and we intertwine them to mean the same thing and they really don't. The description of just, give it a, a, the, the definition of just is based on or behaving according to what is morally right and fair. It says up here in the very, um, in these scriptures, it talks about God being a just God. You've heard that term, I know. God is a just God. He's also a God of judgment. Those are separate things. And we need to be aware of that, that being just is being morally right and fair. Now, that's where we get into a problem. How many of you have I ever looked at God and said, you're not being fair with me? Something happens in your life, some tragedy, some, you know, anything. And how many of you blame God and say, God, this isn't fair. You know, there's a Facebook meme going around and it's always something really good, like where somebody's where somebody's gotten some prize or treasure in the, in the guy saying, God, I just want for me what you've done for others. <laughs> where somebody has fallen into some great luck or something, and that's what, that's what we want. But that's not what God being just is all about. Uh, we have a problem in trusting God in the area of justice because we sometimes doubt that he's a just ruler. Things don't always go the way we think they should, so we feel that injustice is responsible. This is where it really gets down to your personal relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. What happens is, so often, we struggle with this because we don't know God's true character. We've decided who God is, and we have limited in what he can and can't do, and we have decided that we've put God in this box, and if he's not in my box, he's not a just God anymore. That's not That's not in any way, theologically, scripturally, any other means of speaking accurate, God is still God. No matter what we think, he is still God and he is still just. And so what happens is, when these things happen, we get mad at God. You weren't fair to me, God. I should have gotten that job. I should have gotten that promotion. You know, uh, my, my car shouldn't have broken down. There's, there's people driving around, their cars didn't break down. Why did you let mine? You don't like me, God. So we, what we start doing, and this is the tool of the enemy, is we start convincing ourselves to feel sorry for ourselves that God doesn't love us like he does others. And God doesn't treat us with, with the same justice that he does other people. And basically we start having a pity party that God's picking on us and he doesn't understand us. And nothing can be further from the truth. The real problem is that our life and goals aren't aligning with those of God. That's where the problem's coming to us, is God has this, this set of, not rules, but a, a way of living, a just way, a, a moral behavior and character that we're supposed to follow. And when we don't do that and get out of tune with God, then we start blaming God for that. And that's not God, that's on us. You know, and you know, does your life you know, reflect the fact that God is sovereign and is the ruler? Do you really treat God like that? Um, you know, I, I get, I get sometimes a bit aggravated at some of our our modern worship writers and stuff, where everything's a love song with Jesus. Okay, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. That's there's no problem with that. But somewhere in there, we have to also rule, realize that God the Father is a ruling, sovereign, just God who does dispense judgment at times. That's one of the things that Jimmy opened with was talking about God's judgment. And somehow we as a people have lost that, I think. We have, we've lost 
track of where God really is at and where he should be in our lives. He shouldn't be on the fringes. You know, God, everything we should do should be in reflecting that God is a sovereign God and he rules the world and he rules it justly. And we should be, we should be following him and his examples and living that moral behavior that talks about being just. And the only way you can do that is to have a right relationship with God. If you don't have that right relationship, nothing else I say this morning is going to make sense. It doesn't make sense because, you know, God's mind is not our mind. And we can't many times comprehend what God sees as just, you know, being the right thing. Because we get we get in the way, self gets in the way, our own flesh gets in the way. But Scripture reinforces over and over about the character of God. Look at Psalm 25, 8. It says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. Now, I like this verse because he's finally talking about me when he says instruct sinners. It's not all about God. It's, you know, God is upright and just, and he'll tell me the way. You know, kind of, kind of funny. We would title this series talking about the way, isn't it? There is a way of life that Scripture teaches throughout, and it is the way that we worship God and that we treat others. That's really the key to it. who is God in our lives? Is he sovereign? Is he the ruler? Is that who we're following? And then based on that following, how is that flowing out of our lives into the world and society around us? That's what the way is, is how, is how that relationship impacts the world around us. And what has happened throughout history is we've gotten this a bit twisted. We've gotten twisted the role that God plays in, in being a just and a fairly judging God, and we have focused only on part of that. You know, when I say justice, is there another word that immediately pops into anybody's head when you say justice? Something that usually revolves around justice. What what happens? When justice is served, what happens? Punishment. You got it. It's the word I was looking for. When we hear the word justice, we automatically think of judgment and punishment. And that's not the way Scripture is written. And we're going, this is a, an article from um, the, the New Theology Review written by Julian Pleasance. And I thought it was good enough to just put it down verbatim in our slides today and go through what his teaching here is. Because it's so important and it is so on point. He begins with, in the early church, a wrongdoer was to make things right and to seek forgiveness from his or her sister or brother so that things could be right with God. Well, let's just pause right there. Who was it about there? It was about the victim, wasn't it? It was about if you had wronged someone, how you were going to treat them and how you were going to make that right. As in the secular realm, however, the religious realm the victim eventually came to be the governing authority and its laws. Today, we would say that's the state. If you go in and there's a, I don't know, a murder is probably not a good example because there's no way for the person to restore that life they've taken. But if they've stolen from you or done something, is our focus on restitution or punishment? We look at the punishment by the state. You know, are they going to get what they deserve for the crime that they carried out? And so we begin to look at the state as the victim. Instead of looking who was stolen from, you know, they stole your car, they made life hard on you, you didn't have insurance, they took it, they stripped it, they did this or that, they don't have the money to repay you. Instead of looking at the victim, we decide 
Well, the thing to do is we'll put them in jail and that'll fix them. Did that help the victim? Might help them feel that they got a little revenge, a little a little twist of, of the right thing being done. But that was not why, how Scripture was talking about just and justice. Uh, continuing on. Wrongdoing came to be seen as primarily a sin against God and God's moral order more than harm to people in relationships. Moreover, God came to be viewed as a stern or even angry judge dispensing harsh punishment. There is no telling how much damage that view has done to the church. Where we have seen God as only an angry, judgmental God waiting for somebody to mess up so he can punish them. Would you, does that sound like good news to you? He talked about sharing the good news. That doesn't sound like good news. That sounds like somebody, a being that I want to not be around. If that's their only purpose is to come and punish me and they're angry and they're going to just, and they're going to dispense this harsh punishment. You know, so that's the way we have, unfortunately, tried to scare people into doing the right thing in the church. We've told them that if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. If you don't do the right thing, God is going to send you straight to hell. We haven't talked about how we're supposed to relate to each other, about how we're supposed to love each other, how we're supposed to love God and love other people. We've come to this desire to make God this all-judgmental, horrible, punishing figure so that people will act right. He goes on to say, To avoid this terrible consequence, sinners were urged to make things right with God. The church began to focus on saving the sinner from his or her awful fate rather than assisting the victim. God's forgiveness not only took precedence over, but often took the place of the acts of reparation and apology to the victim. Because we fear God. We don't want to be punished by God, so we want to make him happy. And somewhere along there, we got this all twisted and backwards and forgot about who we had harmed and what we had done wrong. All right, we forgot all about the victim because we just don't want to go to hell, so we want to make God happy. The victim got left completely out of this, and that was never God's intention in the way we should be just in society. Uh, those of us who are Christians rightfully understand that when we do something wrong, we need to seek God's forgiveness. And we do need to eventually to forgive ourselves. But there is a third and essential dimension. If we are truly repentant, we must also accept our obligation to the one we hurt. The obligation is rooted in the biblical concept of justice. It's a shame the way that we as Christians have twisted the concept of justice to make it equivalent with punishment and judgment. When that was not God's intention, the only reason he was wanting to punish, would punish us was to deter us to make sure our relationships were right with each other. That was the purpose of this. You know? And God does name wrongdoing, of course, as we must also. God does get angry at wrongdoing, as we should. There are consequences for wrongdoing, as there must be. But legalism, harsh judgment, and punishment are not the predominant themes of the Bible. Just reading that right there makes me feel better. Does it you? To know that that's not the predominant theme of the Bible. It's not about legalism, harsh judgment, and punishment. You know, how could that be good news? We talk about the good news. That's not good news. The good news is the love that God has for us and he expects us to have for each other. And there are rules and laws in society to keep chaos from breaking out. You know, we, we have to 
have boundaries for what people do because we don't want people hurting each other. Would y'all agree with that? That as a as a civilized society, we do need some rules in place. You can't just go and do whatever you want to do. And we'll we'll talk about that here in a minute in light of the Ten Commandments and what they say. But we we have to look at what it means to be just. Um, you know, I experience this a lot. Um, some of you are, are starting to know um, that I'm a chaplain for for our police department. I'm responsible for. Uh, me and, and one other chaplain are responsible for being the light to uh, 30-something officers and it, admin people and things like that. And uh, we're just there to be a presence for them, to let them know that everything in society isn't what they deal with on the street. That's what we're there for. They see the worst of the worst on a daily basis. They see horrible tragedies. They see abuse. They see see people doing horrendous things to their own family. They see addiction. They see theft. They see all of this. And we're there to remind them that there's more to life than what they're seeing. And we do appreciate that they are out there taking the hit so that we don't have to do these things, that they take the hit for us and enforce that. But they take it with a uh, a pretty big hit to their own lives. That These things start to affect you. You can't see it over and over. And um I don't know if y'all will remember back, it was back during the pandemic, this was actually not a live service, it was one of the ones we recorded. We had a, one of my friends, Paul Lee, come and speak to us. And Paul is um, is the uh, director of the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers. I wore his new shirt today in honor of him. And what he said really struck me. He said, we're expecting police officers to go out and act like Jesus when only about 3% of them even know who he is. Three percent. And we're expecting them to do the things that we as Christians won't even do. We wouldn't be just in our judgment, but they have to be perfect. And he said, and they don't even know who Jesus is, so many of them. And so that's our thing. We're not there to preach to the officers. We're just there to be be there for them. Let them understand that what they're seeing out there in society, there are so many experiences that as officers, we only get to see the justice side of it, the judgment side of it. And because that's why they're there, is to enforce those rules of society to keep everyone safe, uh, try and, and bring some, some justice to our society. But we have to go back and look oftentimes. One of the things I am so proud that I see in our department, if you're a drug abuser and we've pursued you multiple times, you know what the number one thing we want you to do is? We want you to stop what you're doing for the good of yourself and for society. But we want to take that a step further and get you help. We want to send you to a place. We've got a place that we recommend as a, as a department that you can go. It's a Christian based thing. It's a residential program and you can go and get your life changed. If you're willing to, if you're willing to submit to God and do the things that, that they ask of you in the recovery program, you can change your life. That's the difference between being just and being judgmental. It would be so easy to say, well, just take them and throw away the key. They've done so many horrible things. Y'all don't have any idea what goes around you. Uh, if you've got kids and they're out after dark, tell them to be careful. There are things going on that y'all don't have any idea you don't see. And I'm not here just to scare you. Uh, my, my parents always told me nothing good goes on after midnight, and they're pretty much right. It's a different world uh, of what's going on out there. 
But we need to realize that there are hurt people out there, and that's the reason they're hurting others. And we need to dig back instead of just looking at the punishment clauses. That is a part of it. Just as we said, God does punish. God does judge. But we need to go back and look at their lives and see why they're where they're at. There are people... So many people that we have talked to that have suffered tremendous loss, tremendous abuse as child, as children. They have childhood traumas that they have not been able to get over, have not been counseled through. And a lot of that leads to their addictions and their crime and their hurting of others. So that's when we become just, is when we start looking at not just the punishment and the judgment, but being morally kind, compassionate, looking at the oppressed. You know, that was one of the things that especially struck me in that video. Uh, There were police officers and other people represented there. And what really struck me in that, and I want you to think about this, is how harsh we have all become towards each other. We disagree about the church and what the church's role is in society. We disagree about politics. We disagree about policing. We disagree about poverty. And what we do is we weaponize those disagreements into the point that those people are our enemy and we hate them and the worst thing in the world should happen to them. We'd be better off if they didn't oppose us. That is in no way scriptural. It's in no way uh, being compassionate. It's not walking and behaving morally as just requires us to do, it's selfish. It's where we've gotten to where we look more at self than we do at those around us and what they need. And instead of finding common ground and looking, because there's a problem. There's a problem. The reason we oppose each other is usually there is some problem that one party or the other has gone to the extreme to punish the other. And that's where we've gotten to in our society. But if we will go back and try and look at these situations with a just and equitable thought, we can make a huge difference in our world. You know, biblical justice is shaped by God's intention for humanity that we might live in what the the biblical writers call shalom, in right relationships with one another, the creation and the creator. What matters about wrongdoing is that it harms those right relationships. What justice requires is that the conditions for shalom be created or restored. That sounds a lot more promising than just punishment, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound great that we can restore right relationships and be able to to live in this world as God created us to live in shalom, to live in peace and a right relationship? And that's what I want us to start looking at as a church. Mark and I talk about this often, is where our role as Christians, as, as, as a church, is in society. You know, he says, God is a God of love. A God who never gives up on us, and that's the essence of the biblical story. If God doesn't give up on me, why should I give up on anybody else? You know, I don't care, you know, and, and from my experience in doing uh, recovery and addiction counseling as well, it takes a long time and a lot of patience for people to get to the point they want to get help because the addictions and things are so strong in their lives. And until you've been there and walked with those people, you, you can't understand it. You can't understand the pull that's there if you don't have that in your life. If it's not pulling you, you just can't understand that. But God's a God of love, and he's patient with us, and we need to be patient with those people. I don't care if somebody's been arrested 15 times, which, yes, I have seen it. People that have been arrested 15 times on drug charges and our overcrowded uh, prison system and our courts, they wind up back on the street. They're never getting help. And I'm telling you, if you think prison is the answer 
to your addiction problems. You are absolutely wrong. There's more drugs in the, in the prison system than there is on the street. Just get that out there. That, 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 that doesn't clean people up and dry them out. So even if you've been arrested 15 times, what's the just thing to do is to say, you know what? I know we've had this conversation over and over, but are you ready to look for help? Are you ready for people that love you to come alongside you and help you through what's, through the hurt and pain that's in your life so that you can get back in a right relationship? Uh, that's one of the things you see in the 12-step programs. One of the things is restitution. It's about going back to those people you harmed and treating them right and treating them justly. So much of this we have boiled down to well, I said I was sorry. Do we do that to God? I told God I was sorry, then I went back and did the exact same thing. That's not the way repentance and things work, folks. You know, it's, it's about more than being being sorry. Um, you know, in, in light of this teaching, are we seeking the right thing? Are we seeking to do what God is talking about here? Are we seeking to bring shalom in people's lives? I will admit that sometimes things get personal. Are we seeking justice or are we looking for retribution and revenge? Man, that's a hard one. Does it feel, if you're watching a TV show and the bad guy winds up getting pursued, apprehended, if it's an action movie, the enemy gets killed, we all kind of like that, don't we? Somebody got what they deserved. They were horrible people and they got what they deserved. And so what we begin looking for in our lives is that form of judgment and punishment instead of being just. We want to see punishment. We want to see people, you need to pay for what you did. You know, I see interesting cases that uh, uh, where people will, well, something has happened to them. And this, I, I will never be able to get this through my head. This, this, this person wronged me, and I'm suing them. And I want to ruin them. I'm suing them for a financial judgment, and I want to absolutely ruin their lives and their business first. Well, that's kind of dumb. If you if you ruin their business and their livelihood, where do you think the money's going to come from then? If you've ruined them, no. What you were seeking is you weren't seeking justice. You wanted a little revenge and retribution, even at your own expense. You would rather see them go bankrupt as a business than to go through the process and see if there's restitution that could be done to you. It felt better to get revenge on them than it did to go through the process. You know, and it's personal many times. But look at Romans 12, verses 17 through 21, what Scripture says about it. It says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully, peaceably, shalom with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Obviously, the writer of Romans here recognizes our human tendency to want to pay people back. We want to be... We want bad things to happen to people. We want to avenge whatever has happened to us. Scripture does not support that. Scripture says we're supposed to bring, to live honorably and peaceably. Shalom. We're supposed to live in shalom with these people and leave whatever punishment is there, if needed, up to God. Now, obviously, we have societal rules, and those are fine for punishment, uh, acts as a deterrence or whatever, but 
we're supposed to try and live peacefully. How many of the first thing, thinking back to the video we watched, those people were angry on both sides, weren't they? They were very angry. They were probably misunderstanding each other to a great extent is where a lot of the anger came from. Did you see anybody offering anybody a sandwich while they were screaming at each other? See anybody offering anybody a bottle of cold water while they were screaming at them? No, we didn't see that. And that's the reason I wanted to show that because that video to me better represents our society than what Scripture says we're doing. We're supposed to be giving them a bottle of water. We're supposed to be giving them something to eat. We're supposed to be looking for a peaceable solution so that we can live in shalom. And we don't do that. And that's that's the whole point of my message today is how do we go about doing these things? You know, how do we have a Christian walk that maintains a sense of justice? Is it all about it is all about how we treat others, especially those that are disadvantaged? One of the things that you will see, and I've seen over the years, is uh, obviously when we talk about justice, we have to think about our court system here in the land that we live in, in the United States. In the court system, there is not so much a racial problem as there is a station in life problem. The people that can afford the good lawyers get to go free. And if it happens to be in our community, there is a there is an over percentage of African Americans, uh, Hispanic people, that are poorer than the white people in our community. So what happens is when they go into the justice system, they don't have the money to pay for the good lawyer that the, the doctor on the mountain does. When he gets a DUI charge, he's got a lawyer that knows the judges, he knows how they all work, he figures it out. He builds his reputation. I can get you out of that. They hire him. The the person that's done wrong hires him, and they get off with a light slap on the wrist. Whereas when you don't have the money and are oppressed and can't get that same sense of justice, guess where you go? You go to jail. You can't pay the fines. You probably can't pay the... You get a public defender. They'll do the best they can do. There are so many crazy things in our court system. Do you know what one of the... The number one defense is for DUI in Hamilton County. Is Does anybody know how you defend a DUI case? You wait for the officer that arrested you to leave his position so they won't come to court and testify and they'll throw it out of court. And they will a lawyer will delay that case hoping that they can delay it long enough that the officer won't appear against you and you get to go free. That's one of the strategies. Does that sound like justice? Does that sound just? But that's the way the system works. That's the reason we need to to be looking at how that same system oppresses those that God is so concerned about. Listen to Micah 6, 8. God tells us, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your Lord. That's a commandment for us. We're supposed to do just things, and we're supposed to love kindness. Oh, my goodness. Would you all say that we are lacking kindness in this world? There's a huge lack of kindness. We are so at each other over everything. Uh, COVID just made it even more more pronounced. We got more divided and less kind. You know, so many things that there were honestly people doing things out of kindness during COVID because they didn't want their neighbors to get sick. And that was viewed as weak and wrong and so many things. And it's just crazy. It's not scriptural. It's not It's not what God tells us to do. He tells us to, to, to love kindness and walk humbly with God. Isaiah 1.17 says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. How about that one? 
That's a big one, isn't it? If you see the suppression going on, it is our role of, as Christians, if we see that going on out in, in the world and in our society, that we correct it. We, we don't just pray about it. We just don't say, oh, this is awful. You know, we don't, we don't say, well, we're not like that. We don't oppress people, so it's not our problem. It says, no, we're supposed to correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Justice to the fatherless. That is a pandemic in our society is how many boys and girls grow up without a complete home life. They go up, they're single parents, either a father or mother, not what God intended, and they grow up in that society. Uh, especially young ladies now, we have zero compassion or kindness. I mean, this is almost heretical how, how badly we treat single women these days that are pregnant. You should have known better. You should have got birth control. You should have done this. You should have. And we heap all this judgment on them. And then you know what we refer to them as? Is the ultimate derogatory thing? Well, you're just a baby mama. You're just a baby mama. You're a nobody. You don't matter. Does that sound kind? Does that sound like that's the way to bring shalom into somebody's life? Does that sound like treating them justly? We don't know what people go through. If we err on the side of kindness, I don't think God is ever going to look down on us and say, you were too kind. Do you see that anywhere in Scripture that God said, well, you know what, you guys, you as a people were doing great until you got to where you were too nice to each other. You don't say that, do you? Does God ever punish you and say, you were just too daggum nice? You should have you gone out and had some retribution on those people. That girl there, she got pregnant. She knew what she was doing. There is no reason for this. You Let her, let her figure it out on her own. She'll learn a lesson from it. Doesn't sound a thing like God, but it sounds a whole lot like us, doesn't it, as a society and the way we look at those things. But how, how can we do these things? Look at Zechariah 7, 8 through 10. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Don't even think about being awful and nasty to those around you. Show kindness, mercy, true judgments. Treat the fatherless right, the sojourner. That could be immigrants. We do need immigration laws and stuff. But for those that are already here, let's don't treat them like God doesn't love them, okay? You know, they're people. They they may have made a mistake. I figure that when, when we get to the point that we've made zero mistakes in our life and have been sin-free our entire lives, we can judge those people. Okay, so I don't think any of us are going to get there. Scripture says we're not going to, so we need to treat them with kindness and compassion. And this this final part of the, the message this morning, I wanted to tie back to the Ten Commandments. I taught this back some time ago. It was in the Ten Commandments we often view as judgmental commandments. They're a list of do's and don'ts and what you should and shouldn't do, right? That's the Ten Commandments. Those are the those are the list of the big things you shouldn't do. And this isn't in, in the in the slides. This was just something I added in I wanted to talk about. You know, we start out uh, with I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not have any gods before me. That's because we want a relationship with only God. It's a, an exclusive relationship and we want nothing more than to just be in love with him. Thou shalt not take the Lord of the name in vain. If we love God, we'll honor and respect his name because we love him. Uh, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. If we love God, we should dedicate time towards pursuing the life that he would have us lead in pursuing him. 
Honor your father and mother. This is where it starts talking about relationships. We show love by honoring the relationship with our parents. I guess I did get that in my notes. Good for me. Um, Thou shalt not kill. Uh, We are made in God's image. So murdering another person is the ultimate act towards both the individual and God. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We show love by honoring the relationship boundaries that have been established between husband and wife. Thou shalt not steal. We show love by honoring what belongs to others. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. We love each other by being truthful with others. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife. My daughter caught that yesterday. Nobody else. This is the second time I've used these verses, Jeremy. And nobody's. That's supposed to say, "Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife." Okay. Uh, if she needs covering, I would say that that's probably another problem. But we won't get into that this morning. But uh, we long for longing for immoral sexuality is not the way we display love. Our society doesn't know anything about true love. It knows a lot about lust and sexuality. And thou shalt not. not that also says cover again. Okay. That is supposed to be covet again. Feelings of envy, greed, and jealousy keep us from loving those around us. When you go back and you look at these, the the ten biggies, as most people know them, that they're they're the big things that you can say, well, I'm not lusting after anybody. I haven't stolen from anyone. But the point of all this was, what's your relationship like with those around you? That was these commandments from God were about how to live in shalom and peaceably with each other, how we should be treating each other. Don't be stealing from each other. Don't be dishonoring God. Y'all all come together, and this is all about love. That's what it's supposed to be. You know, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan begins with love your neighbor as yourself. This is Luke 10, 25 through 37, and this isn't in your, in your notes. You know, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, This is a story about a man that was hated by the religious culture of the day. The Jews hated the Samaritans because they kind of thought they were half-breeds. They didn't worship the way that the Jews did, and they were just generally frowned upon. Nobody liked them. So this traveler, he's traveling on the road, and he comes across some robbers, and they beat him and take his stuff and leave him laying on the side of the road. Now, this, this sounds like one of those, you know, people go into a bar jokes. You ever heard those? There's a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan, and they walk down the road. Well, that's what this is about. The priest walks down the road, and he sees the guy. He goes on the other side of the street to avoid him. Don't want nothing to do with that. You know, the Levite, another, you know, valued religious leader. The Levite comes, and he walks on the other side of the road as well. The Samaritan approaches him and sees, oh, my. There's a man that's fallen on hard things. He needs my help. He needs, he needs me to do something. I'm going to go over there and take care of him. He takes him. He takes him to the inn. He binds up his wounds and tells the innkeeper, if there's anything else I can do for this man, please let me know, and I'll pay the bill, and I'll help him out. What the Good Samaritan did, and if you can boil this, all this teaching down into one thing is, he took action with compassion. He had compassion and took action on that compassion he was feeling. He didn't ignore it. He didn't say, well, that was probably a, you know, I guess they were trading illegal. They didn't have prescription drug trade back then. So, But today it'd be like saying, well, I guess he was a drug dealer. He got what he deserved. That was probably a drug deal gone bad. I'm not going over there and help him. Or, you know, uh, he probably was in, in some kind of thing with the guy's wife relationship wise and they got in a domestic dispute and, you know, that's what happened. 
That's the way we think about these things so often. Instead, the Samaritan came along and said, oh, my goodness, there's somebody that needs help, and I'm in a position to help them. I can give, I can, I can, I can physically help him wrap his wounds up. I can take care of him financially because he has nothing. He can't stay in the end. They took all his money. They took everything he had with him. And I can go and I can put my faith into action. And that is where I want us as a church, and more than just our church here at Journey, as a, as a group of Christian people in Chattanooga, is to see where we can take this compassion and use it in our community. You know, there are lots of people around. One of the, the great examples was last week. We um, we had a service with our friends over at uh, uh, Red Bank Cumberland Presbyterian Church over there with Adam, our friend, and his congregation. We had, how many of y'all went, had a great time? That was the that was fantastic, and it served a great cause. We all bought, brought goods and things to help the Red Bank Food Pantry that helps people with food insecurity. That's putting your faith in action. You, know, you can go down there and serve. They need people often during the week to either distribute food, unload trucks, sort food, all those things. And if you can't do those things, you can do what the Good Samaritan did. You can go and go over to the church and say, here, I'd like to give a financial donation to help with this because I know there are people that, and you can show your compassion for the society around you that way. So there's lots of things that we can do to put this teaching into action and to walk justly. That's the key to walk justly, to behave. That's a behavior of more, your moral content, how you behave in society and walk justly with those around you that are less fortunate than you. You, know, you could go and you could mentor a young, a young man that doesn't have a father. You can be a big brother. Uh, you could even do, as, as some have done, if you're in the station of life to be able to do this, you can foster a child and bring them into your home and love them like your own for a child that's not experiencing love. There are so many things that we can do. Single moms, instead of calling her the baby mama, how about buying her some diapers and formula and helping her out? Now, offer to babysit for her. Maybe she needs, maybe help her get a job. You know, lots of people need help in those things. They don't know how to write a resume. There are so many doggone practical things we can do if we're looking for them. And that's where we need to be as a, as a church, as a body of believers, as individual Christians. We need to open our eyes around us and look for the needs. I don't think they're going to be very hard to find. I think you'll find plenty of places you can plug in and you can walk justly. You can see the right things that God would have us to do. And I think that, you know, the, I was thinking this morning, this came to me. How many of you heard of social media influencers? They, they get on social media and they do things to influence the society, right? They get you to buy a product or they do this, you know. You, you know, if you do this, you know, or here's uh, um, on Amazon. Have y'all gotten the list of Amazon influencers? They try and get you to buy stuff on Amazon. Here's the Amazon influencer and they say you need this tabletop ice maker or you need this or that. What I want to leave you with is what about if we could be kingdom influencers? How about if we influence the society around us for the kingdom of God? We encourage each other as a group like this, get together, encourage each other, disciple each other, build each other's relationships and our relationship with God, and then walked right out of here into society and applied it and influenced the world around us. That's what uh, real revival is about, folks. If you want to see revival in your life, revival in our church, revival in our society, that's what it's about. It's about taking this, these kingdom principles and applying them outside our church. Let's pray.